Hello and welcome to another episode of My Wax Museum. I'm your host, Alex Williams, and today I'm joined by Anthony Locascio. Anthony is awesome. He has to be one of the most interesting people I've spoken to. He's an Italian-American tap dancer, which in itself is awesome. In this conversation, we talk about his experience getting into dance and finding a love for it, as well as the ways he's found to be happy in the rest of his life. And remember, after today's show, to make five minutes today to listen intently to the people around you. Anthony Locascio, welcome to My Wax Museum. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm stoked to have you. I've hosted you before. I always start off with how we know each other, kind of already gave it away. Do you want to fill the audience in, maybe how we know each other and maybe a first impression on our first meeting? Sure. Uh, we met through the internet, as mm-hmm. all people do nowadays, uh, in reference to being interviewed for your Broken Bulbs podcast. Mm-hmm. And I submitted, you liked the story. And we wound up doing an interview together. And while we were on an interview, you said, hey, you want to be in the wax museum? And I said, sure. You want to immortalize me? No problem. <laughs> it is a little a little bit of an immortalization, I find, because this becomes a bit of a time capsule, this little conversation we're having. We're in June right now. And this conversation will come out uh, November 30th is, is what we have in our schedule for this, which is crazy. And uh, so it's, it's really exciting to me. And if you want to hear Anthony on Broken Bulbs, by the way, you can go and listen to episode 99 of Broken Bulbs, which came out August 20th of, of this year. But I'm excited to have you on My Wax Museum because now I get to find out a little bit more about your own personal life experience in kind of a broader sense. So where I always start is, where are you from originally? Where were you born? I was born in Syosset, New York, and I lived the majority of my life as, you know, until, well, until I was 26, I lived in Queens, New York. Interesting. Uh, Howard Beach, Queens, New York. So if you wanted to do a little bit of deep diving, Howard Beach has been uh, in the news many times in my lifetime. (laughs) Interesting. Okay. Uh, Tell me about growing, growing up there. Obviously you got, you got the accent. Fill me in. What was your growing up experience like? I do have the accent. It's not nearly as thick as it was, you know, like when I was younger, I talked more like this. I never went anywhere. And I just, I sound like I was from Queens, New York, you know, um, growing up in Howard Beach was very interesting because I didn't always feel like I aligned with what was going on around me. Um, there were things that were uncomfortable being a dancer. There wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of male dancers here. I got bullied a lot in Catholic grammar school. Um, it was also an area where, you know, you've heard of Goodfellas, you've heard of, you know, um, uh, the Godfather. There was certain shadows or elements of that in the neighborhood that I grew up in. So that was present, but it was also a great place for me to grow up. It was, it was a safe place. Uh, kids played on a street together so I could ride my bike around. I could play in the snow and, you know, I could also go to the dance studio that gave me a lot of the things that I would use later in life, Joe Stanford dance studio. So if I wasn't near Joe Stanford dance studio, I don't know what I would have done. I could have went to little league or something like that, but growing up here gave me the best of what I needed in life. And it taught me a little bit about this most serious challenges I would deal with in life. So 
you mentioned in the quick questions about how you're a 49 year old Italian American tap dancer, how that's the most quirky thing about you. And you mentioned dance and you talk about it like it's this big influence on you. And obviously it is. What got you into dance? How did you end up there? You know, when I was very young, probably, I don't know, five, six, my father taught me how to clap to the music and I was clapping on time with the beat. So it was suggested Send him to dance class. So I was sent to dance class. I went to a studio. All at the time, females, I don't want to gender assign, but all females were the teachers at the studio. Nobody for me to relate to did not work out. Later in life, a couple of years later, when I was about nine, my cousin was babysitting me. She was going to a, a dance school as well. It was local. Hey, why don't we bring Anthony and he can come watch me go to dance class kind of thing. And I went, the teacher was a male teacher. Joe Stanford of Stanford and Lynn, um, who he was an act in vaudeville and he danced at Carnegie Hall and he opened up for Chubby, Chubby Checker and a couple of different things. So watching him and him noticing me in the room, that, that made me feel more comfortable. And I started trying to get my feet wet. I took a couple of dance classes. He said to my mother at some point, you know, your son's doing very well in jazz He'd probably do very well in tap. There's a specific thing I want to try him out for. Would you be interested in him taking that class? And she said, it's up to him. And I said, sure, somebody wants me to do something. This sounds like fun. I'll do it. I got to make noise with my feet. I did. And the rest is history. Once I started taking those classes with Joey, I danced with him for about 13 years, 15 years. And that put me on a path of a successful career where I wound up in an internationally award-winning show as a prominent cast member, and that show was Tap Dogs. That is super cool. What When, when you first started uh, tap dancing and you felt like, because obviously at some point you, you, know, you mentioned how at the first school you went to, you were like, ah, this isn't for me. Like you, di you didn't feel like you could relate to anybody. So what was it when you got into tap dancing that caught on with you? It wasn't the tap dancing per se. It was the fact that I had a male figure as a dance teacher. In the other studio, there was only female or what to looked like to me as female figures. When I went to Joey's, it was a different studio and it was a male teacher noticing a young boy who was interested. It was almost all girls or, you know, what seemed like girls at the dance studio at the time. So, having a boy was a special thing. It's still, even today when you have a male dancer, it's, 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 it's a commodity, you know, you know, I, I don't, from a professional point of view, and this isn't my opinion, women dancers are a dime a dozen. That's why it's so hard for them at auditions. And I'm not saying that's right, wrong, or a different, that's just a fact. Male dancers, a lot harder to find. So if they're a lot harder to find, they're worth more, right? Not worth more as far as because you're a male, you're worth more, but worth more because, of how, you know, um, uh, capitalism works. Right. There's you fewer. Know? Right. There's yeah. fewer. Yeah. So yeah. it's harder to get what you need. Interesting. Interesting. So what was, uh, I I'm curious, what was the first time you performed in front of an audience doing, doing tap? <laughs> what was that experience like? Well, the first time I performed in front of an audience versus the first time I performed in front of an audience doing tap are probably two different things. Okay. Let's and do, was, let's do both. Yeah. So when I was very young, I remember, you know, when you're Italian and young and Catholic and from New York and the whole nine yards, you always, you know, you do things together as a family. 
and you go out, you get all dressed up, and we would go out for Easter, you know, meal or something like that. And when I was very young, going out for Easter meal with my grand, with you know, family, we were waiting, you know, online our turn to sit down for dinner at like the Mill Ridge Inn or something like that in Long Island, and. It's in an open space, and they have other things going on. The petting zoo over there. They have a gift shop over here. And I was dancing to the music, and people started taking notice. And when people started taking notice as a child, you dance more, or you do whatever you're doing bigger because people are noticing you and focusing on you. Someone threw money. Someone threw a dollar at me. So like like I was busking all of a sudden. (laughs) And it actually infuriated my grandpa, my grandpa Louie, who was standing there at the time. And he said, he's not doing this for money. He's doing it because he loves it. And, and but, but, you know, or he's, you know, he didn't get mad at the person, but the, the message to me was you're doing it because you love it. I was too young to really remember the whole story, but that was the first time I danced in front of people and remember, and I had an audience and I didn't go out on stage in front of an audience because I was dancing and an audience gathered. Huh? Okay. Now, fast forward to, you know, within a year or two of that, I joined the dance studio. And then at the end of the year in June, I was in a recital. And that recital was probably the first time I did tap dancing in front of an audience. And that particular recital may have been two years later, because the first recital I was in, I don't think I was tap dancing yet. It was the second recital. So probably by the time I was nine was the first time I tap danced in front of an audience. But I didn't do it as a solo act. I did it with other people. Interesting. And what what was that feeling like doing tap with other people and being involved in this group? I don't know if I knew if I felt it yet. But there's a when you ask a question like that, it's multi-layered. When you tap dance with other people and you're in the pocket and you are making music together, there is no feeling like it for me in the world. However, I will say as a musician, the first time you play with other people and make a song, it's probably a similar feeling to that. Um, there was another part to that question that you asked. I, I'm, yeah, yeah, just really what um, what was that overall feeling, feeling like? Yeah, so the feeling of dancing with other people, whether yeah. it's tap or not, or making you know that I can remember as a child because that that first thing I mentioned that, that was that took a little bit of time to develop and understand, but just as doing something with other people on stage like that and that camaraderie and just that feeling and not being able to describe it yet is overwhelming and feels really good. And, you know, it's something that you want to, for me, that I wanted to experience again. And I remember telling my dance teacher as a child, when could we do this again? I want to come back and do this again. And he said, I'll see you in September, kid. And I had to wait July and August because the recitals in June, wait to go back in September to start the process of dancing with people and practicing and rehearsing and working on technique and learning choreography so that a year later in June, I could get that feeling again on stage with other, with my fellow dancers. Did that become a bit of like a chase for you? Almost a a bit of like a, I need that feeling again. You know, that's a great question. And that's a question you have to, that, that comes up for a lot of artists. I don't need to, or want to, or have to chase that feeling. And I could get that feeling just from, talking to another person about something special in their life. Or I could get that feeling by having an epiphany, by having a quiet moment with myself and thinking and feeling something. So I don't have to chase that particular thing, but I do enjoy it. I love providing that feeling for other people. And when the opportunity comes up to, you know, be involved in something where I know that feeling can happen for my myself, 
or for others, or even for an audience to experience art and maybe change their perspective on life. I'm always down for it. I always love doing it. And as long as I have the bandwidth for it, I'm in. Looking now towards adulthood, you mentioned that you lived in Queens till you were what, 26, did you say? I lived in Queens until I was 26. And then I started a really crazy journey of traveling in life. Prior to that, I went away when I was 24 to Monte, to Monte Carlo. I opened up a show for Stevie Wonder, Natalie Cole, Earth, Within Fire, did a nightly show with Showgirls and the whole live band at the Monte Carlo Sporting Club. I was hanging out with with, with the Prince of Monaco. I was meeting Hathaway, Shaka <laughs> Khan, playing softball with David Dinkins and, and, and Tony Randall and uh, Neil Simon. So, yeah, it is, it's, it's been quite unique. Yeah. Yeah, that is a really unique experience, I'd say. So yeah. while you're traveling around, hanging out with these, you know, interesting and famous and kind of celebrity people, yeah. what, what was that like for you? What kind of went through your head as you were going through this? What kind of mindset were you in? Well, we were being treated the same as them because we were entertainers as well. Mm-hmm. And I learned about the spectrum of entertainment and how many entertainers get to be in so many different places. I was hanging out at castles in Europe with people who had more money than the world. So it was a very interesting experience. It taught me a lot about life. It taught me about, man, if you're just chill and lay back and don't get excited and bring attention to people that typically have a lot of attention to them, they really enjoy being around what you would consider normal everyday people. So normal everyday people get to be in entertainment with huge stars. And honestly, I think that came up because that I would live in New York and then I had that experience for a summer. And then I came back to New York for a little, for two years before I hit that 26 mark and traveled. And then to answer your question about living in New York until 26, once I hit 26 and gotten tap dogs shortly after that, within, I don't know, 10 years, I got to perform, teach, tap dance in all 50 States in a couple of countries. Hmm. So the f- hanging out with people of that caliber taught me a lot about my own life and how to enjoy my own life in a different way and get a different perspective in life. And then I came back to New York and went on the journey of experiencing everyday people in the, ho- in the country and in all 50 states in a whole new way, the same way I experienced hanging out in castles with, with famous people. I got to hang out in dive bars with random person in Arkansas and then another random person in Louisiana and then in California and then in Utah. So that 15 year span of life was like living a lot of life in a short period of time that people don't get to live in a lifetime. So that led me to live in California and then that eventually for for 17 years and that eventually led me to come back to New York. Yeah, that is really, really cool. Are there any particular experiences from your traveling around uh, the country to all 50 states, meeting, just hanging out with regular people in these dive bars? Were there any particular experiences that stand out in your mind as like, oh, I'm like, I'm, I'm doing this and I'm enjoying this. I'm doing this. I'm enjoying this. (laughs) You know, that was, that was a lot of the time, Mm -hmm. you know, I started realizing that, hey man, Someone's paying for me to go all over the country. I want to hit roller coasters everywhere I can go. Um, I want to, you know, go to zoos and aquariums and see what 
everyday people do in all different parts of the country. I also um, did things like um, went to a bar in Texas with, you know, in Orange, Texas, with somebody from the UK, a couple of guys from Australia, a Canadian, and they've never, they've, they haven't been in, in America a long time, let alone a random bar in Texas, other Yankees. And um, that's really funny. I'm, I'm, I'm giving my air quotes to the <laughs> microphone because I'm speaking to the microphone. Right? But uh, we went into a bar in Texas one night and it, I felt like I walked into a movie scene. They heard our accents, saw we weren't from there, knew we didn't belong um, kind of feeling. And man, I, I'm that New York. I'm that Italian in New York or from New York. And I sense that something's up. And I'm like, how am I going to fix this situation? Because it feels quite tense in the room right now. So I just walked up to the bar and I was like, and that's sometimes when I make the New York accent even a little thicker. And when you're not going to expect what's going to come out of my mouth. Hey, how you doing? Listen, I'm a tap dancer. I know that sounds weird, but we're in town doing a show, entertaining, you know, local people. And it's so great to be in a local bar. And it's so great to be around this energy. And you know what? I've never been here before. This kind of feels like a movie scene to me. So I want to buy a couple of rounds for some of the people. Can we get a couple of pitches of beer for some of our friends? And <laughs> just like, just like, want to say thank you for allowing us into your, into your space so that we can enjoy just being around other human beings and it lowered the tension level. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But then there was other things like I was in a Southern state and I don't want to sound stereotypical, but I was there with, with an African-American guy in the cast. And here I am this white dude with this Yankee accent and, and a black man. And we were in a store and every eye was on us and it didn't feel we, I didn't feel welcome which is not always the way I feel in the South. I've got, you know, I've been married once before. I'm married now, but I was married once before, and I got married in the middle of nowhere, Mississippi, Popperville, Mississippi. And I felt Southern hospitality. I felt Southern charm, but I didn't feel it that day. So you never know what you're going to get in life, where it's going to come from. Sometimes it could be stereotypical, and you could totally squash any awkward vibes by just taking a minute to think about your surroundings and having empathy for the people you're around and you could just make everything nice and chill. And sometimes you can't. And when you can't, it's not your responsibility to fix that. You just, it's your responsibility to watch out for yourself, understand the situation you're in and step away because for every bad situation you find in life, you're going to find a good one. Yin and yang balance is true. And it exists. And you have to try to experience life that way. So I had a lot of great experiences, but it was some of the more tense experiences that taught me the most about myself and about life. Hey, Future Alex here. Just popping in to mention that My Wax Museum does have an Instagram page that I'm sure you'll want to check out. We've got a ton of bonus content over there. So go to Instagram and just search up My Wax Museum. Our handle is just at My Wax Museum. Super easy. Barely an inconvenience, as they might say. Now, back to the show. Before we continue, I want to give you a chance to, to tell people where they can find your book and, and follow the rest of the work that you do. Sure. So we're talking about me as an entertainer. Um, I do want to say that we have, you could come see me as a tap dancer at taplifecompany.com and experience um, 
the entertainment side of me. And the book side of me, you could find me at foodasaprescription.com. Please check them out. Perfect. Yeah, I'm going to have links to those in the show notes. I know it feels weird to kind of do a plug in the middle of the show, but I like to do it that way so that we can kind of go all the way to the end of the show and really just focus on on your story. So one thing that I wanted to bring up that you brought up in our quick questions beforehand, I always ask if, you know, if you could tell the world one thing, what would it be? And you talked about how you aren't going to be your happiest self right now and you shouldn't require yourself to be your happiest self right now, but that if you wake up tomorrow and work to be a little happier and do it the next day and the next day, one day you'll wake up happy and you'll go through the day happy and you'll go to bed happy and you'll wake up again the next day happy. Do you want to tell me a little bit about how you came to, to find that mindset for yourself and then how you continue to live by that? Sure. Uh, honestly, music means a lot to me in life. And as far as being a little bit more of, a, of my happier self every day, there are, there is some particular artists that I listen to every day when I wake up. One of them is Jason Mraz. His mindset in his music helped me find my happiest self. And you could even, if you listen closely, he'll talk about, it's not always about the most positive uh, place He's not always in the most positive place, but he recognizes that. And that helps him get to a more positive place. Another artist that I, that I like listening to a particular song is Frank Persico. And there's a whole event that we created around a song called Lucky to be Alive. And every year we dance to this song for National Tap Dance Day. And we encourage other people to do the same. So saying this mindset out loud talking to other people about the mindset, finding people like Frank Persico or Jason Mraz or Donovan Frankenritter or Jack Johnson or Animal Liberation Orchestra and keeping those songs in your um, playlist helps you realize that you're not the only one out there that feels like this or wants to feel like that or wants to get to that place. And hearing your universe, people in your in your group, having that mindset, living in the moment, artists that say these things, you know, it, it helps you understand that, live there and be there and be it. So you just don't do it on your own. You find it a little bit, you believe in it a little bit more, and then you start to say it. And then one day you find yourself saying it to other people on a, on a podcast in an interview. And then that idea becomes a little bit viral or it gets into other people's everyday thought and you kind of pay the idea forward. I like that. Paying, paying the idea forward to share it, to, to let it be something viral that, that spreads to other people. Cause every, everybody knows a smile is contagious. A laugh is contagious. Right. And so I think if we, if we share those things and we, we promote those things, you know, it makes the whole world a happier place, right? Sure, absolutely. Um, as far as a smile goes, I'm not going to get this quote wrong, but I'm going to get try to get the sentiment right. Even if you're not happy, sometimes just putting a smile on your face will get you closer to happiness, right? So if you don't feel happy and people say, well, happiness is a choice, Sometimes that, that people struggle with the idea that happiness is a choice. But if you say, 
Try putting a smile on your face and see if that could bring you closer to the idea of being happy. You'll be surprised how many people can get happy just by smiling. Yeah, there is there is something something about it, kind of. And there, I know I've I've done it before. And sometimes, sometimes just putting that smile on just makes you laugh because you feel ridiculous yes. and then and then you're like okay this is silly but you know it kind of lifts your spirits a little bit you know and it, it feels good in that way and i'm sure being an entertainer this is something integral to your to your craft you're trying to make people feel something and you've been doing this for years and years and years now tell me tell me how how that continues to feel how that continues to fuel you to entertain others yeah, yeah, and to bring people, you know, to these different emotional experiences. I'm very lucky to be in a position to be able to do that in the first place. Not everybody gets to spend a portion of their day, you know, interviewing for a podcast. Not everybody gets to put their thoughts into a book that other people sit down and read and allow those positive ideas to influence their own mindset so they can learn how to help themselves. Not everybody spends one or two days a week teaching children so that you could practice these things and make sure that they're not getting distance from, you know, distant from you yourself. So it feels really good to, first of all, be in a position to do that in the first place. Some people aren't in that position. They're working nine to five. They're working. And we all know what nine to five means. It doesn't mean 40 hours a week. It probably means 80 hours a week. And that's why part of what we had talked about being a little happier every day is so important because if you could just find a little thing and then that little thing gets a little bit bigger, you know, that that's how you get there. So not everyone's in the same position. I, and I want to remind people of that. You know, you say, well, well, look at you, you get to sit at home with your tap shoes and blah, 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 blah. Well, I kind of do now, but it took a long time to get there. And it's not about, you know, we have a big goal to achieve, which is something like happiness it's not about just, hey, I'm happy. It's about identifying little things. So it's with any goal. You know, if you want to go to Australia, per se, like I had said in my questions, I want to go to Australia. It's not about just turning around and, and leaving for Australia tomorrow. It's what are the things I need? Well, I need money. Well, let me start a little account that starts to save money for that. Great. I've done that. So now I could start to see that happening in my life. It's about saying it out loud. So it's a real for myself. So I start saying it out loud. So it's so identify the little pieces that create the bigger puzzle for yourself. And that's what I do. I, I think about the little pieces that maintain the bigger puzzle for myself. I like that. I like that. And I, I feel like, I feel like most of life is kind of like that, you know, exactly. You want something, you want happiness, whatever, whatever it is, you got to work your way there. A lot of jobs, you got to go get your four year degree to, become a teacher or, you know, depending where you live, it might be five or six even. And, you know, want to become an electrician? Okay, well, here's the school to go and do that, you know, and you have to work and you want to become an entertainer. You know, I'm I'm a podcaster. I'm really fortunate to to do what I do. But at the time of recording this, I've been doing this for three and a half years. And the first stuff I made, garbage. You're my, you're my 139th interview on this podcast. And, you know, it's been work. To, to get here. So I, I really like that. Yeah. I mean, just that, that's a great example. The components, mm -hmm. how are you going to record people? Mm -hmm. What kind of microphone do I need? Do I, what, do, am I using the right headphones? What platforms am I, if you think about all that at the same time, like, oh my God, I can never do that. If you're struggling with just getting 
started and you're thinking about, I'm never going to be able to do this because look at all I have to do. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do all of it right now. You just need to pick the microphone today. Hmm. That's it. And then tomorrow, start looking at, at one platform. You know, just be kind to yourself. Take your time. You don't have to have all the answers right away. I struggled with that a lot in my life. I feel like I need to have the answers all the way, all the time. I, not all the time. I still feel like I need to have the answers sometimes. And that happens to me still to this day. Then I remind myself, I don't need to have the answer right now. I just need to be on the path to getting there. I really like that. I feel like I feel like we could have this conversation all day. I was just looking <laughs> at the time and I, I realized we're we're about up for uh, for the length that I normally keep the podcast at. Uh, and I I just want to say how, how much I'm enjoying the conversation, but I'm going to start leading into the end of it here. So I have about two more questions for you here. And the first one is, what's next? What what do you hope to do next? What what are you working on right now? I love that. What's next? In three days, we're going to start another 10-week session online for people to tap dance with myself and my wife, Stacy. Um, we are going to also travel after that. So that starts on Sunday. And you can find anything, register to dance with us at tapdance.ticketleap.com. We're going to start tap dancing on a Sunday from home. And then on Wednesday, we're going to leave for Pennsylvania and then start a tour that's going to bring us to California and then back to New York. And then once we get back to New York, I'm going to prepare to go to Pennsylvania. I'm also a minister. So I'm going to perform a wedding for one of my very best friends in the world, Jason Udolf, who's also a brilliant artist. You can look up Jason when you look up those other um, artists I mentioned, including Frank and, uh, and Jason Mraz. I'm going to marry to perform that ceremony. And then I'm going to drive down to Florida. And we are going to teach on the way down to Florida. We're going to a dance expo in Orlando. Uh, we might stop at a massage, a massage expo for my wife because she also does physical therapy she's brilliant when it comes to the human body and how to take care of it and then we're going to drive back up to uh new york and finish our tour back in new york in late august early september so we're going to be touring for the next three months that is awesome and i (laughs) i feel like you just casually i'm also a minister and and i'm (laughs) like we didn't even talk about this there's there's so many things that uh that that i (laughs) i wish uh, I I really like the idea of having having guests come back on in the future and, and maybe getting some more conversation out of you. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you one last question for the podcast here, and that is at the end of your life, when you're looking back on all your experiences, everything you've accomplished, everything you've done, what do you think are going to be the things you're most proud of and most satisfied with? It's a very deep question. Um maybe a little bit difficult for me to answer in the details right now, but in a bigger picture, legacy. I'm hoping that I leave some sort of positive legacy, and I feel the way lots of people do, I hope, which is I want to leave the world better than I found it, which sometimes could seem like a little bit of a, I don't want to say a conceited thing to say, but because who's to say that my opinion of the world means that I'm leaving it better or worse, right? So, A brilliant tap dancer, Derek Grant, said to me, I asked him a question, how do we determine who are the tap dance gods or not? Because I was trying to answer that question for my own students. And he said, man, that's not for us to determine. It's for the community to determine. So I guess when I leave, 
if the community or the universe of humans that I touched in my lifetime feel like I've left the world better or contributed to the world or just if they feel like I've left the world a better place now than when I first came into it, then I feel like I've succeeded and that's what I want. I want my influence on the community of people that I've met and shared life with to feel like I was good for the world. I really like that. Really appreciate you sharing that with me. And I, I got to say, my life's better because you're in it. I've loved the few conversations we've had. And I just want to say thanks for joining me on the podcast. Cheers. Thanks for doing this because to all your listeners, they wouldn't have an opportunity to hear these things, to learn these things, and to understand your perspective on life if you didn't take the time, effort, financial responsibilities to do these podcasts. So I want to thank you for your voice in the world. And thank you for listening, not just to the show, which we certainly do appreciate, but more so to the people around you, the people from your everyday life that you just happen to know. Make five minutes today to listen intently to the people around you. Mecco.